Hey everybody, it's Blair Johnson with the Badass Records Podcast, where we talk a little bit about you and some of your favorite music along your life's journey. A couple orders of business before we get to today's program. Wanted to let you know that if you tap the merch tab at badassrecordspodcast.com, you can shop and or purchase a few of your favorite swaggy items, t-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, stickers, etc. Uh, if you want to keep tabs on the podcast and when new episodes are out, find it on uh, Instagram and Twitter. And uh, I need guests. So if you're in the KC area and want to do an in-person episode, hit me up at badassrecordspodcast at gmail.com. As always, appreciate you stopping by. I hope you enjoy the show. So let's see here. Okay, so it's been five months. This will be so you're episode forty four. That was me. Sammy Sanchez, welcome back. Thank you to uh, for for coming back for another badass records podcast episode. Um, and the guy that I whose episode uh, was out last week um, was also a repeat guest he came and did episode three and um we talked about some of his favorites and we've talked over the years mostly like through facebook about our mutual love of de la soul mm-hmm. and when march 3rd happened and all of their stuff became available yeah. i said hey do you want? and he you know uh initially like years ago uh i think he posted like a desert island kind of thing and was like um uh, maybe it was you can only take one artist discographer or something, but he he was like Tribe Called Quest, and I was like De La Soul, dude, and we've been this back and forth. so I was like, let's do a De La versus, but it's not really a versus. We're just gonna look at all of their records. He's like, cool, and at the same time, I'm I'm like, let's do a Tom Waits thing, and um, and then so I sit down to get ready for his. I was like, fuck, there's 17 records, <laughs> like holy shit. It's a, and it's a big, big discography. So, uh, but for those two, mm-hmm. for for Tribe and Dela, um, maybe six and nine or six and ten. Um, but when I got finished with that, I was like, "Wow!" And then I opened up Tom Waits. I was like, "Fuck! <laughs> what, what is my problem?" Right. Like, um, and I was like, "I man, this is." Uh, and I started earlier than I would have, but. Um, uh, he's not an easy person to sort of scan a record yeah, on. You, you gotta, gotta dig deep into each one and try to assess what you can. Cause yeah, he just crams as much sound as much lyricism into every single record. So. Um, but I was, I found myself constantly surprised. Um, things that I didn't know, things that I had forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, and, really you know uh i was talking to my boss about it last week and uh he's like is that the guy 
that's like, ah, and I'm like, well, yes. That's I part mean, of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he's like, man, I just could never. It's like, get a drink of water. I'm like, I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's the issue. I don't think he's like unaware, you know. Right. It, it, um, but so when you came in, you said you've been listening to <laughs> nothing but. Tell, how has it been? Daunting discography. Yeah. There's a few records of his that you no, know, I listen on the regular. I have I have a holy trinity of Tom Waits records okay. that I listen to like pretty much every month. Yeah. And then some that I go back to every now and then and some that I haven't listened to in years. Okay. So over the past like two months or so, ever since you announced this to me, since you uh, pitched this idea, I was like, all right, let's dive back in. So I tried going chronologically, you know, starting from closing time and all the way through. So did I. And I was like, all right, you can definitely see the evolution. And then after I did all that, I just went, all right, I'm going to pick this album because I haven't heard it in a while. I'm going to pick this one because there's a few parts that I want to go back and re-listen to. And yeah, like you said, it's a very it's a daunting task. He's not someone that you can just like, okay, that's a good song there. That's a good song there. You kind of have to stick with it. Yeah, knife and fork. Yep. This is no grab and go. Mm-hmm. Um, but... um very 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 pleasant i mean some some were first listens for me mm-hmm. um and just very very surprised uh at how overall you know off-putting uh <laughs> i think like you know the get a drink of water mentality yeah. you know uh i i could probably come up with 10 people off the top of my head that would be like nope 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 and they just wouldn't Not about it. um and it's there's so much more to it than that, it and really he's is. kind of been all of these different places, and it was he's a lived a lot. He's been yeah, the ringer ten yeah. times through, yeah. uh, and it was a, I mean, it was a lovely journey for me, uh, daunting at first, and some sometimes like, uh, like I wanted to bail a couple times. <laughs> um, just because, you know, so uh, there were a couple of occasions where, um, you, you, for the most part, like, I, w- I got to be dialed in, right? right. And, but there were a couple times where I was on, on the go and having to sort of scrawl a note or two. And, and what would end up happening is that I would miss a couple tracks because kids are talking or whatever. Right. And so it's like, I got I to gotta sit back down with it and make sure. Um, but I think um, we should just dive in let's do it um so i've got a disgusting amount of notes um oh yeah i've got a whole document okay okay um i've also you know like probably right after we were texting i mean we we know that the phones are always listening but are they reading too because as as soon as uh some uh, suggestions well a buddy of a friend of mine um who used to live here? He lives in Charleston now, and is actually he's going to be in in a few weeks, and he's going to come do one. So uh, he's kind of my almost lifelong like fish show buddy. Um, but it was like right after that. And he's a he's he's in so many Facebook groups and shares so many memes. And right. um, in fact, I think I've seen him post one before where uh, you know it's like. I'm exhausted from spending 40 hours a week collecting these memes for you guys. <laughs> but uh, so he share he he shared a post from a Tom Waits fan club group, um, and I was like, huh, okay, well let's see. And so and the, the share 
was a review, a, a one paragraph review of every album. Oh, that's cool. And so uh, I printed it off. Um, I don't. Do you want to read it as yeah, we go along? Um, and and like don't favor this over what, what you've got. <laughs> yeah, I'll but synthesize. Um, I think we can just skip the favorite song part. I don't know if that. But yeah. Um, so closing time, man. Um, very, very, uh, lovely, clean, uh, like no hint of that. Uh huh. Uh huh. Very smooth, very straightforward. Yep. It was like, uh, an earnestness to like make a, a mm-hmm. traditional record. I don't he'd know. He'd been, he'd been, uh, you know, working at nightclubs and jazz lounges for almost a decade now. And so it was just like, yeah, I want to, I want to do that. Yeah, I've been listening to, you know, Ted Buckley, uh, Tim Buckley. I've been listening to all these people. I want to put my spin on that. And so, yeah, I think closing time is very much a, uh, it's confident, but it's not quite where he would get to. It was a finding my groove type right. of album. Yeah. Um, old fifty five. I'm, I'm never. Um, let's see here. I got this. Um, never heard such clarity from him, you know, like none of the gravelly stuff. I forgot he was Dylan inspired and if, if, and if I reminded that he's a fan of the beats and Captain Beefheart. So Um, at this point he hadn't heard of Captain Beefheart. Okay. Okay. Uh, we can get to that later, but Kathleen Brennan was the one that introduced him to Ah. Captain Beefheart. And that's where, you know, his career kind of entered phase two, if you will. But yeah, at this point, yeah, a lot of the beats, which I always thought kind of interesting because he was born in 49, so hmm. he kind of grew up, you know, like in the 60s, was yep. he'd kind of be fighting his groove, and by that point, I feel like the beats had kind of fallen out of favor. Yeah. Very much a post-war type deal. Right. And he was just saying, nope, screw these hippies, screw this stuff, I'm... I'm down here with the Vagabonds and the Wanderers, that's what I'm about, so... Yeah. Even from the get-go, he was... Uh, Zigging when everyone else was zagging. So. Yeah. Uh, I hope that I don't fall in love with you. Uh, apparently, Great he song. fronted a high school band that he described as white kids trying to get that Motown sound. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Virginia Avenue, there's like some lovely vibrato stuff. I mean, uh, Old Shoes, Midnight Lullaby. I mean, Midnight Lullaby, I really like. That's one of those early songs that it's just. He does a lot of interpolations in his songs, especially, you know, like old-timey nursery rhymes. Uh-huh. He tries to give him a spin or yeah. something. But this one's very straight. Yes. He says, you know, sing, sing a song of sixpence, pocket full of rye, that old stuff. But then he goes right into, you know, we'll sit on the, we'll sit on the moon, uh, we'll sit on the windowsill and watch the midnight sky. Yeah. It's like, there's nothing, like, sarcastic or no. ironic about it. It's just a, a lullaby, pretty much. Um. So, speaking of... Beefheart, um, I didn't know that he toured in support of Zappa's Mothers of Invention mm-hmm. um, and like was there, like had multiple upsetting encounters with his fans. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like booing him and maybe throwing shit at him. I was yeah, like, Zappa what? fans aren't known to be the most accepting. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a huge Zappa I'm fan. I'm a big Zappa okay. fan. Yeah. Um, but I've, I've, uh, that's not, how I would I don't know, man. Um, I feel like I'm the online music. Zappa fans are like 
Zappa fans are to like the 70s and 80s what like Tool fans ended up becoming later on. Just like oh, they don't think of themselves as much. Sure. But everyone's like, oh, Tool fans. Oh, Zappa right. fans. Like, right. Oh. Uh, but that was that was a little disheartening. Um, Ice Cream Man. I just always that, figured that was a Van Halen tune. Out of nowhere. Yeah. It's a very out of place song on that album. It's very raucous and in your face. Mm-hmm. It's very bluesy. And- um some lovely horn work uh tony Turan, i think that on the trumpet a little trip to heaven on the wings of your love um smooth song that That and grapefruit moon grapefruit moon is lovely uh stephen holden uh from rolling stone said a boozier earthier version of randy newman who similarly (laughs) delights in rummaging through the attics of nostalgia that's an description yeah and i mean closing time is just an absolutely beautiful, beautiful way to closer, yeah. love it. Um, Tom Waits, like all his albums, I think, except for a few here or there, have a fantastic closer. I think Closing Time started out that tradition pretty well. I had this frequently recurring experience where I feel like opening tracks are very strong and then closing tracks are mm-hmm. too. Um, like runs like one through three one through six and then you know if it's a 15 then third like 12 through 15 or 13 and which isn't necessarily a knock against what's like in the, the middle, middle songs, yeah. but just he like saves his best for that w- the opening and the close yeah uh which now that i'm saying it out loud i i learned way down the road that uh I mean, he's written a couple of these for plays Oh, yeah. um, which the, I his think nineties and early two thousands output was a lot of like, he was working with Robert Wilson. Yeah. Collaborated with William S. Burroughs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I guess that would make, if you're, you know, doing theater stage, you, you got to get them early mm-hmm. and then make the ending great make too. Exactly make it all worthwhile. Yep. Why? Well, I mean, what a fascinating cat. Yep. Uh, and still, still, still kicking it. Oh yeah. Um, but what uh, what did this cat have to say about uh, closing time? He's got a boozy, bluesy collection of bittersweet love songs. To describe Tom Waits' debut as sweet, breezy, or accessible is true only in relation to the rest of his catalog. Couldn't agree with that more. Right? Yeah. that's. I'm not a big fan of Old 55. I think it's a little too on the nose. And then it's funny because the Eagles ended up covering it later on right. down the road, and he hated the Eagles cover. A little on the nose in terms of... I think just like not a lot of like... I feel like a lot of his later tracks, even on this album, uh, you see glimpses of it, but it's a lot of metaphor and a lot of uh, like undertones and like okay. hinting at other stuff. Old 55 is just... I'm getting on the highway and going. It's, right. It's just a raucous, like, it's a perfect song for the Eagles. To yeah, cover, yeah. Um, he described their cover as antiseptic, I think. <laughs> and I was like, nice. yeah, that's, that's accurate. Um, so I've basically, you know, unless we are looking for something else in particular, I've just had... Uh, for the most part, the discography open in my streaming service. Mm-hmm. And when I finish an album, I go back out and then find the next one. Um, and it, you know, will play it front to back, but no matter the album, uh, it would, if, if I didn't get out of it and find the next one and start it soon enough, it would default to uh, the same Dylan album 
over and over again. That's funny. Uh, yeah, because like, it's like the, hey, you love Tom Waits. You're gonna love. Tom no, Waits. I know, <laughs> but it's like uh, smart enough to make to connect those dots, but not uh, wise enough to s- recognize that like you know, 40 minutes of that album was like clanging on stuff and stepping yeah. on weird. You know, there's no Dylan. Yeah, not even. A- um, you know, especially at yeah, closing time and the album that came after it, yeah the two most folk inspired um so when you're here for episode 44 let's see we did lcd sound system this is happening pink floyd animals and uh it wasn't heart of saturday night it was small change. small change that's right that's right um but heart of saturday night is uh 74 and Very next year yeah, he, he he was prolific he, his early career. Yeah, every year, like every year he was coming out with with something. Uh, Eleven tracks, forty one minutes. Um, title track, a tribute to Kerouac. I mean, um, this whole album feels like a tribute. To sold, Kerouac, yeah, but. yeah, yeah. Um, man, uh, new coat of paint. Uh, we'll laugh Another at that old blood. Amazing opening. Yeah, we'll laugh at that old bloodshot moon and that burgundy sky. Might be. One of the finest lyrics ever. That whole, I mean, there's a, I can't remember if it's that track or another track on the app. I think it's that track. He says, uh, fishing for a good time starts with throwing your line. Nice. That's a, like, he just knows every single Tom Waits song has at least one line that you're just like, holy shit. Yeah. That's a great line. Um, yeah, great lead off tune for a record, uh, whose cover art is based on a Sinatra record and Mm -hmm. title track written for Kerouac. Um, this is uh, uh, this is one that I had um, and had listened to like small change, but I was I was kind of floored, man. Like it's, I it's mean, it's got pretty night and day from his first album. He sounds so much more confident, yeah, so much more like focused. Um, so the cover art is like uh, sort of striking and sexy, mm-hmm. and then the title of the of the record is like uh, sort of sophisticated seeming. Yeah. Um, so I think there's multiple ways that you would be encouraged to dive in. And then what you get is, I mean, who knows if you're expecting it. Or yeah, not, yeah. Yeah. Um, San Diego serenade, uh, incredible, perhaps, uh, apro- an apropos tune for the, uh, San Diego state Aztecs who just <laughs> lost <laughs> NCAA men's, uh, national championship last night. Obviously this is uh, some time back, but, um, so starting point for a decade long collaboration with bones, Howe, mm-hmm. who you mentioned, um, and r- remind, remind me how a guy like you comes to know a producer like bones, Howe. his name is just diving in. Uh, yeah. Know, once, first time I discovered Tom Waits, I was like, I I'm in love with this. Think, okay. Uh, Rain dogs was the first album. I think I heard all the way through. And I think that's still probably what I would, suggest to someone wanting like a starting like a diving off point would be rain dog for sure by that point he wasn't working with bones how anymore he was working with kathleen well, brennan his um, long time his wife yeah um because yeah it was after heart attack and vine that he met kathleen uh, or during recording heart attack and vine he met kathleen they got married she introduced him to captain beef hearts music okay she introduced him to a bunch of artists and recommended that he self-produce his albums going forward and that's where he broke it off with Bones Howe. They were still on good terms. It wasn't like an acrimonious right. split or anything. But you could tell night and day that after Heart Attack and Vine, the music's a lot like drier, a lot mm-hmm. like punchier. There's not 
many overdubs or anything. It's right. just straight instrumentation. Vocals are right in your face. All that good stuff. Um, great keys and guitar licks on Fumbling with the Blues. Uh, Please Call Me Baby is a heck of a heartstrings tug. Uh, Depot Depot. Personnel credits list weights on guitar, piano, and vocals, uh, which are fantastic. Tom Scott on clarinet and Pete uh, Chris Chris Lieb on tenor sax just somehow he's already and maybe he had uh, plenty of relationship before he's putting out records but he's I mean pulling in fantastic musicians like early you know Um, so I'm assuming people he was known and respected before he got around he made friends wherever he could like later on in his career we haven't gotten there yet but he started collaborating with Keith Richards every now and then and you're like holy shit you're getting the Rolling Stones on your album that's crazy (laughs) you're not some nobody Um, I felt like um, the ghosts of Saturday night after hours incredible closing at Napoleon's Pizza House felt almost like uh, foreshadowing of there's a few tracks on here diamonds on the windshield i always come back to that one because it's very no slinky very Mm -hmm. sleazy Mm -hmm. there's a line on there i think i have it written down here uh a wisconsin hiker with a cue ball head he's wishing he's home in a wisconsin bed but there's 15 feet of snow in the east colder than a well digger's ass (laughs) and it's just like how do you come up with this stuff dude like and his lyricism was always good from the get-go, but it's around here that he started like really finding his voice. Yeah, like all these weird metaphors and all these like murky characters lurking mm. in the background. Yep, he's uh, he's got a knack for uh, choosing something that's oddly specific and making it immediately visible mm-hmm. to you. Like it just like perfectly uh-huh. uh, images in your head. Yeah. Uh, what did, uh, what did this dude have to say about that one? Let's see. The year after his debut, Wade's followed with a more energetic companion album. This record uses more speak singing and straight spoken word tunes. I had always preferred this to closing time, but on this listen, I find it to be the weaker of the first two. That's interesting. Huh. I definitely prefer Heart of Saturday Night, uh, I think, over closing well, time. Well, yeah, I mean, they're kind of apples and oranges to me. I, yeah. I, I like them both a lot, but I mean... They're very both. They're both very much precursor albums. Like yeah. They're they show him like, all right, this dude knows his stuff. But it wasn't until later on that he fully became Tom Waits. Like you were mentioning, the Ghost of Saturday Night, the closing track, easily one of his best early yeah. era songs. Uh, he paused his inside peacoat pocket for a welcome twenty-five cents and the last bent butt from a package of Kent's, and he dreams of a waitress with Maxwell House eyes, marmalade <laughs> thighs, and scrambled yellow hair. Like, wow! How how do you come up with that? I kind mean, of stuff, man, I have no idea what Maxwell House eyes are, but I can totally Maxwell see. Maxwell's old brand of coffee. No, no, I know. Yeah, I, I like. I don't know what he means, and I know exactly what exactly. he means. Exactly, that's the thing. It's stuff that you're like only he could think of. It, yeah. But as soon as he says it, you're like, I understand exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Uh. Nighthawks at the Diner, uh, 75, 18 tracks, 74 minutes, uh, and we've gotten a little more aggressive now. Oh, yeah. Uh, this was, this, the concept for this one was Bones Howe's idea. Okay. Uh, he said, you know, let's do a live album, and they weren't kind of sure how to do a live album, really, so they said, you know, let's just make a quote-unquote lounge right here in the studio, mm. invite a bunch of studio execs, a bunch of collaborators and colleagues and friends, and just recreate a nightclub. And 
I think it worked out amazing. Yeah, like, I'm so horny. The crack of dawn ought to be careful around me. Like right <laughs> off the bat, one of the first things he says on the whole album. Uh, the opening intro, Emotional Weather Report, sounds like Al Pacino has lifted Tom Waits' voice for all of his major movie roles to me. <laughs> um, intro to uh, On a Foggy Night, weird to hear so many Subaru references on a 1975 record. Um, and I was like, what? kind of subarus were on the market in 19 <laughs> turns out there was a lot of them looks like it uh i was like i thought subaru came out in like 1982 or something but here here again it very was just speci- enough yeah it was in the enough in the uh in the collective mindset of the people he's like yeah i can say this and they'll know exactly what i'm talking about but. um please uh share as we go share any and all passages because there's so many that you could... I had to pick like I if I had picked just all my favorite lyrics the document would have been like right? 10 gigs yeah. long but... intro to eggs and sausage my veal cutlet come down tried to beat the shit out of my cup of coffee but <laughs> coffee just wasn't strong enough to defend itself <laughs> god he's just so funny yeah. and he doesn't even try to be it's like that's just him talking it's just him observing and it comes across so comes across so hilarious um Intro to Better Off Without a Wife, amazing dialogue. Uh, where I, where have we gotten such brazen masturbation illusion before 1975? Um, I remember my American Lit 2 professor in college during a uh, uh, class discussion of, I think it's Whitman's, Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass. Mm-hmm. We're all just like sleepy and just Let's getting get through it. it and he's like, and he would uh, spit quite a bit because he would get very animated he was a very large dude and like his arms hung really low and he had a a gut but he was otherwise skinny so and he would do a lot of and it's just huge art and at one point he's like i mean come on people he's basically masturbating in the ocean and we're all like what (laughs) yeah yeah leaves the grass got banned because of its obscenity right nowadays you'd read that and be like is that what he's talking about Uh back then Uh it was like so clear like oh the dude's Dude's a horny dude. Uh, you got one? I've, I've got uh, Burrito King, uh, but I've always been kind of partial to calling myself up on the phone and asking myself out, you know? One thing about it, you're always around. You ask yourself out, you know, some class joint somewhere, the Burrito King or something. <laughs> Classy joint. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, there's a... It's, uh, what is it, Warm Beer and Cold Women comes up later in the album. Yep. And he says, all these double-knit strangers with gin and vermouth and recycled stories in the Naga Hide boots and the platinum blondes and tobacco brunettes, I'll just be drinking to forget you, I'll light another cigarette. Signature weights. It's so, like, you can just picture him, you know, just cup of bourbon in one hand, big cigarette in mm-hmm. another, mm-hmm. recollecting on times immemorial. Nighthawk postcards from Easy Street. Uh, there's an instrumental breakdown around the three-minute mark, which is just like impeccable professional jamming. Mm-hmm. And it's like, really? Well, all right. They got some top-class studio session musicians for this. Yeah. Um, Putnam County uh, and the coiffed brunette curls over Maybelline eyes. Estee Lauder sells so smells so sweet, America. Um. So, okay, yeah, invited audience for four sessions mm-hmm. to make the, and like, what did you, and I, I mean, the, 
they were full, I think. Yeah. And what a treat. And he, you know, the audience is into it. He's into it. He's riffing off them. They're laughing at all his jokes. It just feels so like like you're there almost. Like you're part of the right? part of the crowd. Uh like I guess there was a stripper named Duana and Waits came out after her uh and sang emotional weather report, then yeah. read the classified section of a newspaper while facing the band as they played. <laughs> Oh, what else we got? Uh, The album ends on a really, like, the whole album up to towards the last, like, three or four tracks is pretty loose and having fun. And then you get Nobody, which is so, like, ain't nobody gonna love you the way I loved you. Mm. And the way he says it is so, like, half it's like, yeah, go fuck yourself. You did this to yourself. And the other half is like, look how much I love you. Why don't you come back to me? Yeah, You can't really tell what side of the fence he lands on plays it super straight and then immediately after that you get big joe and phantom 309 which is you know a seven minute eight minute long how was it six and a half minute long track it's pretty much just a ghost story he's yeah. talking through it it's just like what is this dude talking about um he's hitchhiking on the highway guy picks him up drops him off at a at a diner and he says hey big joe just dropped me off on phantom 309 and they tell him the story of this truck driver who was coming over a hill, saw a school bus full of children, and had to jackknife off the road, ended up dying. What? And now every now and then, he'll pick a hitchhiker up on the road and drop him off at this diner and they'll wow. tell the story. It's like, there's, where did this come from? I Yeah, and there's uh, ghosts kind of haunting uh, motifs and, and mystery and oddity. Um, some of which gets a little spooky, you know, not necessarily right here, but across the whole thing. Um, he's not one to shy away from the, the creepy stuff. Nope. He'll tell it all as it is. Yeah. Um, Mostly you'd expect a ghost story for the background music to be also spooky. No, it's pretty much like a, a jaunty, like folky, it's almost cheerful. The music is behind it and you're like, wait, is he talking about? A dude driving his truck off the road and dying. All right, cool. Hurt. Um, so let's see here. I don't want to skip small change. Um, I had the this is the first of my holy trinity, right? Um, but you know, track one. I'll never, I'll never have the sound of waltzing Matilda on my brain <laughs> as uh, my. I'll forever have the sound of waltzing Matilda on my brain as my Tom Waits introduction, and I absolutely love that. Um, why is this album special enough uh, for for it to have made your list for those who haven't uh, tuned in to episode so, forty four? Yeah, talked about this at length uh, the first time I was on here, and it's just so like. His rasp is there, like it makes its first full debut. Like this is the Tom Waits voice. He'll, right. He'll, you know, go through all sorts of style shifts rather in his career, but his voice is pretty much the constant. And I think his lyricism is just on point on here. His ballads are super soulful. We start seeing some of the weirder experimentation that we'll get later on down the road. Right. Uh, step right up. Um, Pacey's in a G-string. Yes. Stuff, like, the piano has been drinking, yeah. of course. Yeah. Like, such weird songs that would not work with anybody else no. besides Tom Waits. No. Uh, we, we, I, I skipped over uh, the the one paragraph for uh, Nighthawks. Oh, yeah, Nighthawks at the Diner. Simultaneously a live album and a studio album, Nighthawks at the Diner was recorded live in front of a small audience at LA's Record Plant Studios. 
all of these early albums sound like they should be played during a last call at a smoky white jazz club <laughs> and the live atmosphere of Nighthawks at the Diner surfs that sound really well. Tom Waits is a very funny artist and it comes through for the first time here. Also, it's 74 minutes long, so pack a lunch and his voice is getting a bit gruffer, which I think is true. Like, yeah, you definitely yeah. notice on the first two albums, there was barely any right, rasp right. there. Nighthawks at the Diner, it's a bit more live. He's like yep. getting into character a bit more. Yeah. And it's like he adopts that character yeah. pretty much for the rest of his career. Um, I definitely remember um, in getting ready for, for your episode, um, feeling just over, you know, uh, the the kind of joy that is like recall. Like, oh man, I've, it's been so long since I listened to this and it's so great. And honestly, if, you know, I, I kind of feel like no skips on, oh, on small zero, change. Zero skips. Um, Such a tight. Like he'd have pretty big albums after this. This was a pretty tight. Like how many tracks? Ten tracks. Each one's got its own story to tell. Yeah. Doesn't really recycle any ideas. Right. Uh, what did he have to say for uh, for small change? <laughs> the Tom Waits voice in all caps with trademark nice. makes its first full blown appearance. His darkest album yet. Small Change is a tribute to sad drunkenness. It's top to tails with gorgeous, bittersweet songs and continues to build on everything that Waits has been doing up to this point. Couldn't have said a better Right. Myself. I mean, not bad. Um, foreign Affairs. So. 77. In uh, my opinion, he follows up one of his best albums with what might be his worst album. I, I. This is my note. What's it say? Uh, didn't have much to say on this one beyond digging Bette Midler's vocals. I mean, yeah, that's really it. He It feels like he's kind of just riding on, resting on his laurels at well, this point. Well, it was one of these deals where uh, a good way through, I'm like, have I not been paying attention? Because nothing is really... They all kind of blend together. Yeah. yeah. It's not, I wouldn't say it's a bad album, right. no, but no, it's no. definitely not up to his previous standards and definitely not what he would get to down the road. Right. Uh, Looking just on, yeah. I never talk to strangers is good because yep. that Ben Midler duet is yep. just them riffing off each other yeah. for like four minutes. That's great. A cypress, a cypress rise is sweet. Burma Shave is pretty good. Potter's Field is probably my least favorite Tom Wade song. It's just so over the top and theatrical. Hmm. And it's like at this point, he hadn't quite gotten that sound down. Sure. Tom Trobert's Blues from Small Change, kind of notwithstanding, that's a very grandiose song, right? But on here, it's kind of like. Do we need this song to be nine minutes? Like, <laughs> like, it's fine. We, we, no. I, I got the idea. Yeah. After three minutes. Let's cut it there. But uh, what did this dude have to say about it? Foreign Affairs. I was less familiar with this album than I thought I was. It's his first step backward, almost like someone trying to make a Tom Waits style album. There are still some very lovely songs, but it's a bit of a letdown. Oh, exactly. no, I mean, it seems to be a, a common common theme amongst fans. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, what about Blue Valentine? Much better, still a bit of a transitionary album, but I think way better, way more focused than Foreign Affairs. The three run or the three album run after Small Change, so Foreign Affairs, Blue Valentine, Heart Attack, and Vine, probably his weakest. I was I I was feeling pretty sleepy across all three. It's almost like you could take the best songs from all three of them and have one pretty good Tom Waits album. Yeah. Yeah. But even then, it's very much like, all right, this dude needs to change it up a bit. Like, yeah. I've heard it. Like, he's been doing the same barfly, loungy right. type stuff for years um, now. So. This one's got 10 songs, 50 minutes long. Uh, Red Shoes by the Drugstore is awesome. I love that track. Uh, uh, I think 
it opens up with a cover of uh, somewhere from West Side Story. Oh, which is wow! Okay, ridiculous. Yeah, somewhere uh, uh, a place for us. Uh, it's so and it his voice it fits so well. Like you wouldn't expect it to. Like it's you know Sondheim. You expect it to be like you know, right big towering and grandiose. And here's this dude just <laughs> somewhere. There's a place for us. Right. And it's like all right, dude. Hell yeah, I, I get it. It like spins a whole new light on it. You got Christmas card from a hooker in Minneapolis, one of my favorite Tom Waits songs. Period. You've got twenty nine dollars whistling past the graveyard. Twenty nine dollars, beautiful blues guitar work. On a lot of times, listening to these, I'm like, I'm finding myself going to the uh, personnel listing, and oftentimes, I'm like, also him. Yep. Also him. Yep. Like, okay, man. He like, played most of his instruments. It's crazy, and uh, he hasn't gotten to there yet. But there's, he'll start. Uh, collaborating with Mark Rebo quite oh, a bit later yes. on. Yes, I'm glad you mentioned him. One of my favorite, like, I'd never would have heard of the guy if not for Tom Waits, and now he's one of my favorite guitarists. He's just got such a peculiar, like, distinctive sound, and it just meshes oh, perfectly with he, Tom Waits. He, uh, immediate, because I, I know, um, I know him from uh, a record called Surrender to the Air, mm-hmm. which is like 96, and uh, I want to say Sun Ra was behind it and there's like and trey anastasio from fish uh and like at 30 or 40 other musicians and it's just all free jazz mm-hmm. um i i tried a couple times when it came out. i have a copy of it still on cassette uh but i've, I've never gone back because it's just too, too much but that's where i and then uh and then he put out um two records with uh los cubanos postizos do mm-hmm. you are you familiar with those? I'm not familiar with the records. I'm familiar with Los Cubanos. Okay, okay. Um, uh, incredible. Um, the, one of them. Um, well, I've got it written down for uh, later on, but uh, they're they're really good. Um, but, but he. So I was like, oh yeah, I forgot that he. And then he's kind of there for a minute, and then he's not. And then later in the discography, That's what he does. I'm like, yeah, he just pops up. Oh, there he is. Again. Yeah, and it's so unmistakable. Like, where have you been the last few? Uh, months? Yeah, I'm missing. You. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, wrong side of the road was for me fantastic start to finish. Um, a sweet little buffet from a, a pretty blue gun. Something to be said about the seemingly new sound of keys, electric guitar, and horns. But that aside, uh, this album flirts with flawlessness. I thought uh, sleepy, but from a musicianship standpoint, crisp, bare bones, fundamentals, doesn't try to do anything crazy. It's just fantastic songs. Uh, yeah, give us uh... See, Blue Valentine. For the last few albums, he's not really been pushing himself anywhere new, but he's carved out a unique sound and style. Blue Valentine continues this in a better way than Foreign Affairs did. He loves writing sweet songs about the life's small pleasures, and he loves writing about sad, desperate characters. These come together on Christmas Card from a Hooker in Minneapolis, a seemingly optimistic song with a depressing twist. Right. It is true. Like, he doesn't have very many, like, story songs. Right. Like, telling a story. But this is particularly one that it's like, what the hell just happened? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Heart Attack and Vine from 80, uh, nine songs, 44 minutes. We're in decade two. Uh, and the final record with Asylum and, yep. and, and Bones Howe um, opens with a meaty title track. Uh, Probably the best track on the album, I'd say. It just slogs along with fervor, just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, tough. Um, 
I guess spring the guitar on this track is great. Yeah, it's really punchy in your face. Um, Springsteen covered Jersey Girl with, with weights on vocals in August of '81. Mm-hmm. Um, Which that's another thing I love about Tom Waits is that there are so many of his songs that would go on to be covered by other like more notable artists. Uh huh. And then you go back and you're like, oh wait, Tom Waits did. So all I of those. so I, I should have made a list because right. there was All Fifty Five and Martha from the first record. There was a. On this one, we've got Jersey Girl. Mm-hmm. A few records from now, he did Blind Love, which, and Rain Dogs had both Blind Love and Downtown Train, which would go on to be covered. Yep. Blind Love, I think, by Bob Seger, and Downtown Train by Rod Stewart. I think that... Uh, let's see. There's I've got it written. There's a story between Seger and Stewart um, about maybe Downtown Train, but... Um, I totally and completely forgot about uh, the the wire. Have you seen the wire? Oh yeah, I haven't written any. Okay, to I was like, yep. oh my god! And then I remember, well, I read or remembered or both that um, uh, for at least one of the seasons, or at some point, it was like a different artist doing a cover yeah, of it. it was, yeah, way down in the hole was the theme song every yeah. season, but every season was a different artist covering every it. season the, the second season was the original yes Tom Waits yes version, but then every other season was the same song yep. different style um but uh, a bunch like cold water mm-hmm. i feel like lots of people song, cover yeah. that he has so many songs that even if no one has covered them they're so easy to cover just because they're you know short yeah compact so much character in them um unstoppable in shades, or wait, let's see here. Uh, Stephen Holden from Rolling Stone Waits finds more beauty in the gutter than most people would find in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> he said about heart attacks and vine. <laughs> uh, in shades, track two, smoke an instrumental with creeping tempo and Ronnie Barron on the organ, just killing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, downtown, dirty, slapping gravy atop crunchy potatoes. <laughs> um, and groovy blues funk from uh, Mr. S- is Mr. Siegel. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what uh, what do you got over there? Let's see. Heart Attack and Vine. Mostly more of the same. It's less of a smoky jazz album than its prior ones. The Hallmark song is Jersey Girl, but I'd argue that it isn't the best song on here. I agree. Jersey Girl, it's a good song. Yeah. It is, it, you could tell right away why uh, someone like Bruce Springsteen would cover it. Yes, like of course. Bare bones, like great story, great lyricism, but just old roots rock, Americana type. Yeah. Um, Ruby's Arms, I think, is another fantastic closer. It's just gorgeous. I mean, this was, uh, I'm pretty sure this was like the, the, the point where, for the first time, seriously, I was like, I'm, I don't know, this, I might have bit off more than I can chew. Um, <laughs> but I also, at the same time, ki- kind of like the oddly specific yet recognizable, uh, I was like, this is a lot but at the same time it's worth it mm-hmm. um and you know there's so much that i uh, of what we get from here on i i knew little of mm-hmm. um but before we uh dive into swordfish let's break real quick i'm yeah. gonna pee and check on the dog get get you a beer if you want all right uh so we did hear the one paragraph on Heart attacks and vine. Yeah. Okay. So, 1983, right? 
swordfish trombones. So before we get to that, he yes. does have a paragraph for one for the heart, which okay. is uh, the movie that uh, the movie soundtrack that okay. did for Francis Ford Coppola. Oh which man, the movie bombed. Oh, did it? And commercially. So since then, Waits has kind of like distanced himself from ever having worked on that album. But he did release a soundtrack album for it, which was him and Crystal Gale, the country singer. Yeah. Okay. Back and forth. Not a great album. Okay. <laughs> a, haven't seen the movie. I can't imagine the movie makes it much better. But uh, it says here, with all due respect to Crystal Gale, no thanks. The oh, sa- shit. The soundtrack to, Fra- the, to the Francis Ford Coppola film of the same name, One for the Heart, is generally a lighter album with less of Wade's signature twisted storytelling. The most significant thing about this album is that he met his future wife and songwriting partner, ah. Kathleen Brennan, while working on this film. So she was a studio assistant at the time. Okay. They met. By 1980, like I think before Heart Attack and Vine had even released, or maybe a few months after, they were already married. Okay, quick. It was night and day, like his music before he married Kathleen and his music after he married Kathleen. Uh, Yeah. Almost like two completely different artists. Sure. The the lyricism and the raspy voice and stuff is pretty much the only through line connecting those two eras. I will say uh, I was repeatedly surprised uh, every time... You know, I, I guess from here on out that she gets, you know, songwriting. She's cre- a co-writer. Yeah, like, a and lot of songs and like uh, they're still together. Mm-hmm. I think. I mean, and so for it's, it's remarkable that they moved that fast because, uh, I mean, it, it would seem like uh, it would be a lot to be married to him uh, <laughs> if yeah. if any of his. Uh, sort of the you know, character attributes that, that's autobiographical. Yeah, like, are you really the guy I want to be with right now? <laughs> but Which, uh, back, uh, I skipped over it. But back uh, when he did that duet with Bette Midler mm-hmm. on Foreign Affairs, Bette Midler has a story about meeting Tom Waits, going to his apartment, and he came. <laughs> She walks into his uh, apartment and there's like wires everywhere. His like living room's been torn apart. And then he told her something like, uh, "You can grab a beer from the top of the fridge. The bottom's my toolbox." And it's like, "Wow, this is how you live, dude. I... Like, is everything all right?" But it seems like yeah, he acknowledges that Kathleen like really turned his life around and like really made him like, oh. more confident, more, okay, like, more centered, more focused. And you can tell right away, like. It takes a lot of confidence to come out with an album like Swordfish Tombow. Yeah. Uh, which, came I mean, out, like you said, in 1983. Yeah. And, just, and uh, thank you for including. I, I skipped stuff that wasn't. That, like, there's a Midnight Brawlers. There's a couple of records that I just didn't. Uh, there was also there was two compilation albums that came out in this time from Asylum that he wanted nothing to do with. Like Asylum just put out these two compilation albums. Oh, really? There was I think it was like the Tom Waits, uh, the Tom Waits anthology. Okay. And then the Asylum years. Uh huh. Uh huh. He yeah. hates both of them. Oh. He wants nothing to do. Like he does not promote those two. He he doesn't really enjoy his time with Asylum records. So oh. He just, like he loves Bones Howe. He made a lot of great connections. Interesting. At that time. But it. He, so what are the are those do those feature tracks from other records or no, just shit that he recorded? There's some B sides on there, some like stuff that didn't quite make it onto okay. a record, but just stuff that wow. they're like, all right, Tom Waits is gone. Let's just put out some ah, of his song, his like back catalog because we got. can exactly, and we'll make a little bit of money exactly. Wow. Um. So, um. 
swordfish trombones, um, you know, it was one of the records that, uh, it's it, it, the, just the title has stuck with me. And it was one of the first, uh, that I, when I was first introduced to Tom Waits, that just the title, uh, like, wow, you can, that's a fantastic word. And, and I think it's all one word. It's yeah. Not swordfish, yes, trombone, exactly. It's swordfish trombone. Um, but I think, um, I don't know if I, if I viewed it as intimidating or if my initial listen was jarring, which I think maybe it was. Um, so but if, if all you've listened to Tom Waits before this is his, his asylum years, those first seven albums, this is, like I said, just completely night and day. Like, is this the same artist? Is it? It's intimidating. It is. And I, I think the, that cover art is also very <laughs> intimidating. There, yeah. Because up until now, yeah, his cover art's been like him, like a, just a, a side profile of him, or like a dramatic pose, or or like the Heart of Saturday Night, like this really slick painting, right? And then we have this monstrosity. Yeah, <laughs> um, couple quotes. Um, the Apple Music blurb: After a decade as a boozy beatnik piano singer who liked to r- run his mouth off, Waits reemerged with a nearly brand new approach. Marimbas, congas, upright bass, percussion, Waits' own voice, also an instrument in the mix, sometimes gentle, more often loud and abrasive, scraping itself raw in the outrage. Yeah, which it's pretty accurate. Um, and then William Rollman from All Music, Waits' tales of the drunken and the lovelorn had been replaced by surreal accounts of people who burned down their homes and of Australian towns bypassed by the railroad. I mean, like he's always saying about what he calls the urban dispossessed, mm-hmm, homeless people, mm-hmm. just the the downtrodden. That becomes his entire bread and butter going forward. Like you'll be hard pressed to find a track here and there that isn't like almost directly addressing either a person that's down on their luck or just the general atmosphere of being down in, yeah. in that kind of lifestyle. I think the first track on here is underground, and it's immediately starts off like. Uh, we're all awake while you're sleeping is one of the lines. Yeah. That's like on the first verse. It's like, <laughs> are we like literal here? Right. Or should I be yeah. peeking out the windows? Uh-huh. Is everything Exa- okay? Yeah. yeah. I think maybe you should. Uh, of the 15 tracks, song number five, 16 shells from a 30 aught six is the record's favorites. longest. Mm-hmm. Uh, clocking in at 433 and one of the strongest. Oh, yeah. Um, that's another, yeah, that's a good thing you bring that up. Yeah. Up until this point, he's had like, song songs but there's going forward there'll be a lot of you know little spoken word interludes or just like little instrumental passages that mm-hmm. aren't like fully fleshed out yeah. songs like you have a a two minute song followed by a 30 second song followed he, by he's got uh a handful of like a buck 19 and four uh, i think there's a 46 somewhere in the mix but they're they're songs i mean they're just like, com- compact and compressed but they yep. and here it is um well, you got to meet me by the, what is it? Well, you got to meet me by the knuckles of the skinny bone tree. I love that line. Yeah. Um, in the, na- go ahead. No, uh, in the neighborhood, uh, waltzing Matilda that. meets Sesame street and a, <laughs> and a sullen memorial. That's uh, one of my favorite tracks because it's a very, like, if you just listen to, like, if you don't pay much attention to the lyrics, it sounds very triumphant. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like when he says, you know, in the neighborhood. Yes. It's almost like he's walking down the street, like, bringing out <laughs> his neighbors. Yeah. Like, come on. Yes. But then I have it down here. He says, 
on that very same song, where Friday's a funeral and Saturday's a bride, and Say's got a pistol on the register side, and the goddamn delivery trucks, they make too much noise, and we don't get our butter delivered no more. It's like, do you really like living in this neighborhood? Yeah. Like, is everything okay? No, but he, then that chorus hits, and you're like, to. God damn, all right, I yeah. want to live there too. Yeah. Let's go. Uh, I know everybody's got a list, and, you, you know, uh, that's usually they, I'll, a glance and whatever. But... In 1989, Spin called it the second best album of all time. I saw, I saw that. I was like, I was reading for this really. Album. I was like, I wouldn't even call it the second best Tom Waits album right. of the decade. <laughs> even uh, 17 musicians. Um, Frank's Wild Years. His his wife uh, was a spent piece of used jet, jet trash, trash. Made good Bloody Marys. Kept her mouth shut most of the time. Yep. That <laughs> track, like that's one of those. It could just be interpreted as another little throwaway spoken interlude. He does those. Starting with this album, almost every album has one track that's just him talking yeah. over some jazzy yeah. or whatever. But this one in particular, because so Frank's Wild Years would go on to be the title of you know two two albums down the line. Uh-huh. But the the beginning of that song, Frank settled down in the valley and he hung his wild years on a nail that he drove through his wife's forehead. It's like Fuck me. You start a song like yeah. that. <laughs> yes, and I then, am. Right? Like I'm not gonna you know, anyone listening, I'm not gonna spoil the rest of the song because it's hilarious and so, so dark, but it's you know, a perfect showcase of everything that Tom Waits was good at. Like it's is it even break a minute? It's a minute fifty and you you could be you could be excused for just like oh, I'm not going to listen to that song, but right. if you listen to it, you're like how the hell did he say so much uh-huh. and pack so much meaning into that short of a time span? Uh, title tracks, one of the album's coolest cuts, and the fact that it's followed up by "Down Down Down," a jazzy, dirt riddled, uh, one off uh, of an otherwise experimental record, is classic weights in mm-hmm. the sense of admiration. Yep. The the guts and the gusto to just. This is my record. These are my songs. Um, the, here's the, my subject matter, and my, here's my tone. My I mean, just it's like I'm not dressing it up at all for you. This is this yeah, is what I'm singing. Yeah. This is what I'm experiencing. Uh, soldiers thing, and then there's a swing, and still another direction. Wow. Uh, he just I'm not sure how many times, like how often I'm getting this one out. Um, it's almost like um, you need either need to be in a specific mood or want to be put in a specific mood. Um, Is this is have we gotten to number two of your Holy Trinity? Okay, the very next. Okay, okay. So Uh, he calls this the first part of a trilogy. Oh, really? Rain Dogs and Frank's Wild. Okay, considers all okay. Interesting story. Uh, Gin soaked boy. you could put a, put you could put these grimy electric blues tracks up against most any great from that genre. Fine, fine work. Like yep. again with Mark the like Rebo again on I, the track. Yeah. Uh, Such good guitar. Rainbirds, uh, lovely closer has the emotion of the Top Gun scene when Goose dies. <laughs> it's a very emotional. I mean, yep. Um, what uh, what did Mister One Paragraph say? Swordfish trombones. From the very first notes, it's clear that this is a new era. Gone is the piano-based jazz field troubadour. What replaces it is a devilish, growling, noisy, thumping collection of tunes built around guitars, horns, organs, harmoniums, marimbas, and whatever the hell else he could find. <laughs> After several strong but repetitive albums, this is a complete about-face. Where it remains is Tom Waits' sorrowful, sorrowful, 
humorous, beautiful songwriting, and storytelling. Whether it's the chicken or the egg, the change in producer is also important to the massive change on this album. Okay. Do you know off the top of your head who who he nabbed to produce? It was him. He and Kathleen oh, they would pro- be self-producing for the next few. He signed with Anti yes. Records several yes. years down the road. But right. the 80s and early 90s, I think, was all Them. him. Yep. Man. Uh, so well, he was doing it all. He was playing instruments. That would singing. explain how you go from a record a year to have a couple, three years. Because yeah. that's a lot of work. Yeah. Once you've already put in the work to write and then record. Mm-hmm. Um, man. Uh, so Rain Dogs. Perfection. 1985. Absolute perfection. Uh, 19 songs, 54 minutes. Immediately recognized Mark Rabot's guitar. Um, so, yeah, uh, Mark Rebo y los Cubanos Postizos, self-titled in 98, muy divertido in 2000, one's yellow and one's blue, um, but they are, um, just incredible. Um, there's, there's, um, some up-tempo stuff and some, some down-tempo stuff that it's just packed with emotion, and you get... I mean, it sounds very much like Mark. Like his tone is not always my favorite. It's like, very, it's a very distinctive. Yeah, tone. Like, it's very clear. Sometimes like, it bites through it, the mix. Like yeah. whatever song he's playing on, like oh, there's Mark Weaver's yep. guitar right there. Um, sometimes it's like drawing, and sometimes it's for me, it's a little off-putting. Like there's sometimes uh, it can be a little distracting. Yeah, like are you in tune? Fit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Clap hands, track two. Uh, that's what I'm talking about. This is the kind of Tom Waits that makes me feel alive. Yep. Um, shine, shine, a Roosevelt dime. The way he he has like a little lisp almost on this song. It's like, where's this? He hasn't. He didn't have a lisp before. He doesn't have it again. It's like he almost takes on a whole new persona for this song. Like when he says clap hands, like yes, drags yeah. out for so yeah, long. Yeah, like he's trying to be one of those. Uh, uh, like the anime, like the snake from Jungle Book. Yeah. Like, <laughs> trying to just be intimidating. and I mean, that's pretty much yeah. what it is. Uh, said Steam, Steam, 100 Bad Dreams, going up to Harlem with a pistol in his jeans, a $50 bill and a Paladin's hat, and nobody's sure where Mr. Knickerbocker's at. Wow. That. Oh, my gosh. It's like, no one, like, what are you even saying right now, dude? But I love every word of it. Um, every word. So, in addition to Rabo, 22 musicians beyond weights, including G.E. Smith and Keith Richards. And I was like, excuse me? He went all out for this one. This is pretty much Swordfish Trombones dialed up to 11. Like, he just, more songs, more instrumentation, more, like, confident songwriting, I feel like. It's almost like Swordfish Trombones was him, like, first finding his footing into this new era that he was entering. Still phenomenal album. But I think Rain Dogs is where he like really like dialed in on that okay. sound. Okay. Do you know G. E. Smith? I'm not familiar. Okay. Um, so I want to say so I was dialed in uh, pretty religiously to SNL for '87 to '92, somewhere in there. Um, and G. E. Smith and the Saturday Night Live band was the oh. host. I mean, okay. and uh, he always, um, like, he, 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 you know, he, he would dress nice and he had a ponytail. And, like, whenever they cut to commercial, he's, you know, being, b- being kind of like, like, 
flirting with sleaziness, uh, <laughs> which was how I just, you know, uh, kind of like, this is what Tom Waits sounds like, moving oh, yeah. on. And then I... And after not too terribly long, I realized that he was an absolute shredder and a really good, and yeah. he was, he is a really great guitarist and the band behind him was phenomenal too. I just was too ignorant to appreciate it. Right. Um, but so I, saw, I, I, you know, double took at G Smith and then I was like, and then I was like, uh, looking at looking at other stuff and like when did he leave saturday night live and what happened da, da, da. and i was like okay where was that and i go back and it's and keith richards and i'm like what just a little footnote <laughs> going on there like oh and this guy you might have heard of once or yeah. twice named keith richards uh a creaky walk through an old house with no level floor uh waits beatnik poetry has twisted into a singular vision of the world that escapes the bounds of time and geography is oh. the apple music blurb oh uh, to your point, uh, William Rollman, All Music, it's a swordfish follow-up that's sprawling while its predecessor was focused. I'd say that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah um, swordfish trombones, you could kind of, I wouldn't say, so Frank's Wild Views, which came after, he almost wrote it exclusively as a concept album because he had been devising a screenplay called Frank's Wild Ears, yeah. never came to fruition. He just took all those ideas and put them into an album, which kind of makes it a little more focused. Raindrop is very much just a here's this sound we're just gonna throw it all out there and see what happens and there's there's beautiful songs on yeah. here they hang down your head time uh blind love is phenomenal downtown train of course it's just and then there's also tracks like tangle till they're sore and big black mariah that right like, that one is this the same album I, like what yeah. is going on uh, so I guess he wrote most of it in two months in a Manhattan basement room, which is an observation that I love as it shows the dedication he showed to producing his craft oh, yeah. and releasing 17 records across nearly four, four full decades. Hey, if you aren't paying attention, this could easily sound like, a, oh, this dude just threw stuff together. But ah. there is so much method to the madness here. Um, let's see. Waits on his mistrust of fashionable studio techniques. If I want a sound, I usually feel better if I've chased it and killed it, skinned it and cooked it. Most of the things you can get with a button nowadays. So if I was trying for a certain drum sound, my producer would say, oh, for Christ's sake, why are we wasting our time? Let's just hit this little cup with a stick here, sample something, take a drum beat from another record and make it bigger in the mix. Uh, don't worry about it. I'd say no. I would rather go in the bathroom and hit the door with a piece of two by four very hard. <laughs> There's a... I don't know if I have it written down here, but I remember reading somewhere on Real Gone, which comes out like 20 years down the road, there's one particular song where he took a sound, like he took a microphone right next to chicken frying on a pan and just cranked that up to forever. Really? And sampled that, and that became the percussion track for a song. It's wow. Like, how do you even come up with this? Like, that's just... I can hear it. Exactly. I mean, yeah. The, you know, uh, it's a very identifiable sound. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I love that uh, as it speaks to not only a push against what had apparently already become common and would ultimately become a huge tendency, but it says, hey, people were actually making good, authentic music in the 80s. It wasn't all crap. Um, <laughs> but like just, I mean, obviously he's uh, been around, he's been recording music, he's been uh, producing, so he knows that there's a button you can push for that. And he 
Doesn't want it. it. I love it. Leave that button alone. Uh, Rebeau on studio time with Waits. Rain Dogs was my first major label type recording, and I thought everybody made records the way Tom makes records. (laughs) I've learned since that it's a very original and individual way of producing. He also mentions that they wouldn't rehearse before recording them. Waits would play the songs for the band on an acoustic guitar. And then they... They would just go for it. Wow. Uh, waits on recording with Richards. There was something in there that I thought he'd understand. I picked out a couple of songs that I thought he would understand, and he did. He's got a great voice, and he's just a great spirit in the studio. He's very spontaneous. He moves like some kind of animal. I was trying to explain Big Black Mariah, and finally I started to move in a certain way, and he said, oh, why didn't you do that to begin with? Which is so funny when you find that like kind of person that you're like, we don't even need to talk to each other. We'll just gesture. Yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah, I know yeah. exactly what uh-huh, you're saying. Uh-huh. Uh, are, you a, are you a Stones fan? Relatively. Relatively. Yeah. They're not okay. my favorite, but Me either. I respect the Stones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of Stones on the, the playlist at my bar. So okay. Quite a you bit get your fill. Yeah. Stones. Yep. Uh, you got a skip button back there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Blind Love, uh, Down Home Blues and Western that features Richards on guitar and backing vocals and is one of the record's gems, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um Rain Dogs is bony and menacingly beautiful. It's quirky, near pop, the all pro instrumentation. Pushing Weights is not so melodic, but surprisingly flexible vocals out front, where his own peculiar freak flag, his big heart, and his romantic optimism gloriously fly. Uh, Orion, or Orion Berger from Rolling Stone. Um, so. Like uh, Waits, things that I've learned and forgotten. Downtown Train is an original made made famous by Rod Stewart. Hilarious that Bob Seger recorded a version before Stewart. Then one month after Seger told Stewart, Stewart recorded his and later claimed that he didn't steal steal the idea from <laughs> Seger. Um, so which but, one of us is going to cover Tom Waits first? Yeah, Race I know, the and then like maybe get caught lying about it. Right. I don't know. Uh, big band finish to the closer. Uh, anywhere. anywhere. Oh, man. Holy hell. Just bagpipes and accordion just right in your face. His vocal delivery on that song is just so, like, he's been through it all. He's letting, like, the last of his voice out. It's like... Yeah. So, uh, the Sammy Sanchez Trinity, uh, Small Change, Rain Dogs, and, and one more to go. Yep. Okay. Um... What, uh, yeah, there's I just cannot get enough. Walking Spanish, uh, Jockey Full of Bourbon, those two tracks I go back and listen to like once a week. Jockey Full of Bourbon has like one of my favorite Mark Rebo guitar solos, okay, it's just like out of nowhere. He's just like it's not even shredding, it's just pretty simplistic, very skeletal, but you're like, this fits 100%. Yeah, I've used uh, one of his tracks for an episode, um, and uh. God, I, I would love to play it for you right now if I knew how to do that without, you know, getting it a copyright. But, <laughs> um, God, man, it is just an epic tune, and it um, it opens with like a big drum splash, and then you just get this bass, just kind of low volume, and then all of a sudden, in comes Rabo, and he's just kind of just going back and forth between three notes for the riff very simple but and it, it is like it's breathtaking uh it, it almost like makes you see uh a setting that he's trying to create you know on, on the sound spectrum um so 
those yeah i mean there's not every track is fantastic from from both of those records but they are must-haves um so did we do the rain dogs let's see dang this album is great perfect it's an evolution of what he was doing on swordfish trombones but it's much stronger it has a whopping 19 songs of varying shapes sizes and colors and all of them work Clap hands, tangle till they're sore, hang down your head, time, downtown train, anywhere lay my head are all perfect. Considering how far this is, considering how far this is from his long-running jazz crooner sound of the 70s, it's a fully realized musical identity. That being said, there's some stuff on here, such as Singapore, that some people probably hate. I, I buy that. I'm, like, jiving with the, I haven't read this, so like, I'm kind of jiving with every... Right on yeah. Um, like, yeah, there's, there's some tracks on here that, like, push the envelope a bit farther than you'd expect them to and i could see some people being like okay calm down <laughs> just from take, start to finish i'm 100 on board with this album um so frank's wild years 1987 um is perhaps if i'm remembering correctly and this is this is along with swordfish this is one of the first that i got it's on i have it on cassette but it's it's like uh, the people that introduced me to Tom Waits, you know, were the reason that I knew Swordfish Trombones and Frank's Wild Years, uh, and so I respected their musical taste very much. And uh, if I found myself sort of not on the same page with them, it was like uh, disappointing. Like the, like there's something wrong with me, <laughs> um, and I feel like. Now I might be confusing this one with uh, a different one, um, but I, I might be confusing Frank's Wild Years with the one that's got the cover art is literally just the track listing. The heart attack in mind. No. Um, what is it? I don't think. Is this the Black Rider? That's okay. Yeah, I, I might. That's but, the, that was the back cover of it. Yeah. Um, right. Right. Uh, so okay. So I mean, I guess maybe I'm not too terribly far off here. But Apple Music blurb: As Tom Waits' albums go, Frank's Wild Years is a weird one, and this is Tom Waits we're talking about. Yeah. Um, I so I was, I'm going to read this little blurb. Okay. First, okay. I think it Perfect. really it's a really good transition. It said Tom Waits wrote it. Tom Waits. Tom Waits wrote a musical called Frank's Wild Years based on a spoken word song from Swordfish Trombones. This is the soundtrack. If Swordfish Trombones was a preamble to Rain Dogs, this is the B-Sides collection. It's pretty inconsistent, high highs, and low lows. Okay, okay. Which is exactly yeah. like... Um, so I guess maybe the intimidation comes from um, feeling like uh, it didn't... When I listened to it, it it has never like uh spoken to me and said make me part of the regular rotation mm -hmm. but i feel like it's i'm it's a really strong album. i'm i feel like i'm I supposed to know it in my opinion it's probably the weakest of the three swordfish trombones rain Dogs, okay okay interesting Soldier, but it's not a huge chasm between right and the others. Like, um, still a fantastic album Immediately recognize Rabot's guitar work again, and according to the album's wiki, Izzy Stradlin is listed as an unconfirmed appearance on rhythm guitar. Izzy Stradlin? Yeah. GNR. Yeah. That's hilarious. Um, Everyone was just drawn to Tom Waits. They I mean, to work with him. 
William Rollman again from All Music. This is just the third installment in Waits's eccentric series of Island Records albums in which he seems most inspired by German art song and carnival music, presenting songs in spare, stripped-down arrangement consisting of marimba, baritone horn, and pump organ, and singing in a strained voice that has been artificially compressed and distorted. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not one of your favorite favorites. It's not. It's a pretty firmly in the like middle category of Tom Waits' album. Okay. Okay. Up, say towards the upper end of his middle category. Uh, track four, temptation into track five, innocent when you dream. Uh, temptation is remar- one of my favorite. Yeah. Songs. Period. Remarkable duo. Uh, the latter of which is featured in Smoke. Did we talk about Smoke on your episode? I don't think so. Oh man. Oh. Uh nineteen ninety film nineteen ninety five film featuring William Hurt, Harvey Keitel, Ashley Judd, Forrest Whitaker, and it is phenomenal. Damn, it's like four vignettes into mm-hmm. and they all interconnect. Yeah, and movies like and, that. Uh Innocent When You Dream is in it. That makes sense. Um, it's very much uh like a movie show tune type of song. Yeah. Like um, this, uh, this being a it was, you know, written originally as a stage production, as a screenplay. Right. And so you get kind of uh, not so much reprises, but like alternate versions yeah. of songs. Yeah. So uh, straight to the top, you see that early on. It's mm-hmm. like a Roomba, like a lot of percussion, a lot of like in your face. And then later on, it comes back again. And this time it's like a Frank Sinatra type of like pastiche. Yeah. Like it's just very nice. slinky and smooth. Yeah. And it's like, where the hell? It's the same song. <laughs> But Innocent When You Dream, the first time you hear it is at the end of the first half of the album, or towards the end of the first half of the album. And it's like the guy, the protagonist, I guess, is still like, we're we're making it to the end. Right. And then when it comes back, it's the very last song on the album when you hear it again. And this time the voice is kind of coming through a, a, like a radio. It's like very distorted, very crackly. Okay. And like the instrumentation's kind of slowed down yeah, a bit. It, and it's is like, it quieter? It's a lot quieter. Okay, okay, like, yeah. Oh, we've we've come a long way. Yeah, the first time we heard this song. What a journey! Uh, track seven, "Yesterday Is Here," is one of the f- best Tom Waits songs uh, I've ever heard. Um, so, uh, for some reason, you know, I'm, I'm searching around, and, and I, I guess I came across uh, uh, Scorsese. He, he supposedly is doing this. Uh, TV show, the show for Apple TV, uh, in which uh, Jonah Hill is going to play Jerry Garcia. Have you ever? Wow, it, okay. it, it's been it came like a couple of years ago. It started to, you started to see shit, and then it's like it, it didn't fade uh, from online, you know. And Still but there. but but it, I don't, you know. Uh, yeah, no, I know, and it's like I haven't seen anything that's like oh now they're on set or now they're filming, but. Uh, I don't know why I've randomly included that thought. Um, Frank's theme, uh, track nine is like incredible. Yeah. Theory. And that's a song that ends the first half. Of the yeah. Album. Okay. I think, yeah, the first half of the album is a lot more like, I don't want to say optimistic, but like blindly optimistic. Like, yeah, everything sucks, but we're going to get through it. It's going to be fine. And the second half of the album is a lot more realistic. Yeah. Like, maybe things aren't going to be quite as fine as I thought. Uh, it starts out with More Than Rain, mm-hmm. which another fantastic song. And I have a line here from it. It says, 
none of our pockets are lined with gold. Nobody's caught the bouquet. There are no dead presidents we can fold. Nothing is going our way. And it's more than trouble I've gotten myself into. It's more than will be gotten gray skies now. Wow. It's like, yeah, it's kind of like coming out from the, 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 the drug-induced haze of the first half of the album. And it's like... Uh, it's kind of a shit show I've left behind. Right, yeah. Here. Oh, yeah. man. Um, there's like an Italian mob ending to track 10 more than, or to More Than Rain that bleeds into Way Down the Hole, which I, I absolutely love. And we already touched on the wire. Um, so odd run of 12, uh, straight to the top, Vegas through 14, telephone call from Istanbul. But uh, That's another fantastic song. But telephone call, yeah. fifth, Cold Cold Ground is absolutely incredible so sober out of nowhere it's like yeah um so yeah i was i was i i was definitely confusing this one with the other one and and sort of felt like uh the 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 overall uh picture is is in some sense kind of masterpiece i mean uh it's chances um and musicianship and uh ever-evolving uh personality that just i mean i i don't love it love it but i recognize its place yeah yes the overarching picture yeah um is is this okay we did we read this one before we dived in there um so 1992 bone machine um my buddy Ben Green was in a, a college band uh, <laughs> that I nabbed the flyer for, um, and I reached out to him um, and said, hey, I'm doing this uh, this Tom Waits episode. Um, um, what did he say? Uh, modern sounding and radical departure from Frank's wild years. Uh, and, uh, just was listening to to a ton of Tom Waits at the time. Um, won a Grammy for best alternative record. Yeah. Uh, it's got less Claypool brain and more Keith Richards. Uh, a lot of quick punchy tracks with specific it's tones tight album. and messages. Like the last few albums have been very like, all over the place a little bit very sprawling this is this sticks to a theme and it grinds it out like no other almost, um, it's almost industrial yeah in that sense. like it, yeah. there's no like glitchy electronics or anything nope. but it's very just punchy mm-hmm. all like um dark. probably his darkest album i'd say all the way through it, it absolutely um and uh no disrespect to any of the other records uh, they they are literally all included in the statement but um i have a very deep appreciation for his cover art uh and this is this is one of it, one of the finest cover art always like lets you know what you're getting yep. into okay? yeah and this is like all right this is gonna be a scary album mm-hmm. um what did they have to say about it in the one paragraph machine i'd never cared for this album but it's much better better than i'd remembered my recollection was that bone machine leaned too heavily in the hellish circus conductor noise rock direction but there are lots of great songs here this is also the first album that he co-wrote entirely with kathleen oh okay i think i mean i don't think he's selling it up quite enough i think this is a phenomenal album it's not quite the third part of my holy trinity but if i had like a holy quadrinity (laughs) this would be probably be number four this it's, is the, the, the sub. Yeah, this is the alternate, yeah. Um, 
So Black Rider is 1993, um, 20 songs, 55 min- minutes written for a play. Um, is that the right one? That's the right one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you mentioned Robert Wilson, uh, theater director. I had never heard I of him before. I only know him through his okay. collaborations with Waits, yeah. William S. Burroughs. Um, so we're marrying uh, his musical vision with this, this their skewered concepts and story led to a dense sound where the walls have come from the horror movie factory with eyeballs looking back, scrutinizing every move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, really, uh, the only n- note that I had was um, track 17, Oily Night um, is uh, okay, this album kind of blends together for me. Well, a lot that this, I recall from that. It, I don't think I listened to it much over the last few weeks. Well, it, it, it's not for the anxious. In fact, <laughs> uh, I had to bail on it at least once um, because it's just kind of percussive noises mm-hmm. uh, that are very uh, atonal and not like a beat. And then he just comes, Oily Night. Oh, and it's like, ah, Jesus, man. <laughs> Give me a warning. Uh, yeah, well, uh, it, it just, I, I don't know. I, that's, like I said, the only note I had on it. I don't know if you got anything else. I don't have much what I have written on here. As a collaborative work, it's much more scattershot than any of Waits' other works, and it's on, honestly a bit too all over the place. For mm, having, mm-hmm. like, I feel like, like I said here, if, if I were to see the play, maybe it would make a little more sense. I've fair, never seen the fair, play, so. right. What did that? What did dude have to say? Remember what I just said that I thought that bone machine was like leaned too heavily in the hellish circus conductor noise rock direction. Yeah, that's actually the Black Rider. It's strange and dark enough that I appreciate it, but don't actually like it very much. Like Frank's Wild Years, it was written for a play that Waits wrote. Yep. Mm, okay, okay. So again, it's I kind of comparing it to Bone Machine because it's true. Bone Machine kind of gets the reputation as like the heavy yeah. industrial uh, Tom Waits album, and then compared to this, it's. It's like closing time. It's yeah. like it's not even in the same ballpark. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, I, I'm almost, I'm like 99.9% certain that chronologically after this, all first listens for me. All right. Um, so I was like, you know, making my way through and I was like, God, is the rest of the ride going to be like rough? This. You know, <laughs> um, Mule Variations, 1999. That's Trinity number three for me. Whoa. I love uh, meal variations. I think that I was uh, a good chunk of the way through, and I was like, is every track on this record amazing? Yep. After what we just, I mean, uh, big in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> right off the bat. Uh, have you seen The Breakfast Club? Yes. Okay, course, in, in yeah. addition to the numerous girls in the Niagara Falls area, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, when uh, Anthony Michael Hall's character says, he has a girlfriend, but you wouldn't know her. She lives in Niagara Falls, and later Bender is ribbing him for it. But, uh, you know, big in Japan. We're big in Japan. Yep. <laughs> uh, so, like, it's one of those, like, just stereotypical, like, Tom Waits songs. Like, the lyrics are so cheeky. Like, I got the shirt, or I got the stripes, but not the tie. I got the uh, I got the moon, but not the sky. Right. But I'm big in Japan. Right. So who cares? Like, <laughs> um, Hold on. Uh, I have right here, like it's probably my it's Wade's best ballad in my opinion. Like, I, I I I have uh, we haven't heard this vibe from him in some time, and it's, it's across several records, and it's 
beautiful. This is yeah. So up, up to this point, like you said, it's like is it, is the rest of his career gonna be this like Bone Machine, right. Black Rider type noise? But on this one, like there's a few tracks that are like weird and out there. Uh-huh. But for the most part, it's him sticking to a theme and just writing it out and you're like wow that was a phenomenal song and yeah same thing for the very next song yeah. uh on hold on specifically there's i feel like that one's been covered too oh i'm sure it has. yeah i'm not sure i'm not familiar with any right famous no. covers but like his lyricism and like the whole song's about you know escaping and yep uh they hung a sign up in our town if you live it up you won't live it down it's like he grew up in the footloose town almost like (laughs) don't have any fun otherwise you're gonna go to hell yeah but then like after his protagonist like makes it out and she's out living in on the east coast he says down by the riverside motel oh i lost it down by the riverside motel it's 10 below and falling by the 99 cent store she closed her eyes and started swaying but it's so hard to dance that way when it's cold and there's no music that line, it's so hard to dance that way when it's cold and there's no music, came from his six-year-old daughter. Really? They were on the bus. She saw a guy outside in the snow just, like, dancing to his own thing. And she said, it's so hard. It nice. Must be, it must be hard to dance when it's cold and there's no music. That's awesome. And Tom Waits was just like, yeah, you're my daughter, I yeah. guess, because I'm yeah. putting that in my song. From That's this day forward, <laughs> I will always have pen and paper on me. Exactly. <laughs> um, it's track four, Get Behind the Mule. Uh, really dig. Yeah, uh, house where nobody lives. Lovely. I love this one thing about this album, it like some people see it as a bit overlong or like a little all over the place because mm. you go from something like "Hold On," which is a super somber, very mm-hmm. sweet ballad, get behind the mules, back to like that raucous kind of bluesy, mm-hmm. then right back to "House Where Nobody Lives," which is another somber, like really somber song. Right back to "Cold Water." Right after that, it's almost like Whiplash. That's very much intentional. It's yeah. Like, there's no there's no resting in no. the sound. Like you can't get comfortable with one sound before he's like, Hey, remember this <laughs> other thing I can do really well? Let's go back to that. We talked about Cold Water. Uh it won a Grammy for best contemporary folk album. Mm-hmm. Weird. Which is um, yeah, this is probably the folkiest he's ever gotten since his first album. I still wouldn't call it a folk album. I know, right? Uh, who was he building in there? It's just a creepy little spoken word. So piece. creepy, so creepy. <laughs> like, uh, all these, like jittering electronics in the background. I love the very last line is, uh, "What's he doing in there? We have a right to know." It's like, no, you don't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. just doing his own thing. Yeah, You're just a paranoid neighbor. Uh, Stephen Thomas Erlewine from All Music: The ragged cacophony of Bone Machine combined with the songwriterly aspects of Rain Dogs plus beatnik qualities of swordfish trombones yeah this is this really is like a it's almost like if this had been his last album i know it would have been the perfect i know to go out on glad it wasn't though uh what's he building um great closers especially picture in a frame uh had a chiropractic adjustment today and the uh, the office manager gal is uh her ex is a big bukowski tom way and so she's like oh my daughter's saying um a uh, picture in a frame at a school program as like a solo. I was like, seriously? Damn, that's wow. Awesome. That's a deep cut. Um, come on up to the house. One of his best closers, I think. Uh, one of his best. I love that song so much. Yeah. Um, it's sort of like, uh, you know. Um, it's very uplifting. Very, well. It's almost like a gospel song. And it's like. It's got, to me, it's got like this, you know, this warm uh and you see somebody you gotta come by the house man yeah. 
Um, but it all to me, it also carries a little uh, cats in the cradle. Um, yeah. If I could find that, you know, a kid, the, and then the kid's grown. It's like, there's no more time. Yeah, it's come on up to the house. It's like a thing. You, and then all of a sudden, 20 years has gone by. You're still uh, asking for him to come up. Yeah. To yep. um, I, I just, I mean, it. the first time I heard it, it almost moved me to tears. And I, I mean, I, I didn't, uh, this is the only song uh, in, in all 17 records that I went back and listened to again on its own mm-hmm. twice. Uh, so good. So, yeah. Um, and like that whole second half of the album, like Come On Up To The House seems very out of place because you have like Picture In A Frame and Georgia Lee are both mm-hmm. pretty like somber but still kind of dark yeah. songs, like a little sad. Yeah. Come On Up To The House is very much like a triumphant and the rest of that back half of the album, you got Black Market Baby and Eyeball Kid, <laughs> which are like two of his weirdest songs. Yeah. Two of my favorite Tom Wade songs, but two of his weirdest songs. Eyeball Kid specifically, I think that's the one where he says, yeah, it starts off 7th of December, 1949. They got what they'd been wishing for for all the time. Like that's God. that's his birthday. Like he's just inserting himself into the narrative a bit. But then the rest of the song is about literally a kid who's just an eyeball. Like there's a kid was born, blue eye. And then he says, like, the song's from the perspective of a of a manager who found him, like, in some Saigon jail and is trying to take him to Carnegie Hall. What? And he says, where is it, where is it? Uh, he grew up in a trailer by the time he was nine, rolled off to join the circus, telling fortunes on the side. The people would point, the people would stare. I'll always be here to protect you and to cut down on the glare. I know you can't speak. I know you can't sign. So just cry right here on the dotted line. Wow. I love that's awesome. stuff like that. Um, so remind me, um, what was your introduction to him? Rain Dogs. The first full album was Rain Dogs. But I heard like... Uh, like the piano has been drinking. Okay, yeah, step right yeah. Up and songs like that. And was who was it that turned you on to him? I think it was just like Spotify. Okay, like, hey, okay. Have you, have you heard of Tom Waits? And I was like, no, I have not. Don't mind okay, so Rain Dogs, and then from there you go where? I think so. Rain Dogs, I think from there, then I went kind of backwards in his okay. discography. I listened to Swordfish Trombones next. And then I think Small wow. Change was the very next album. I was like, this is different. This is very different. Yeah. I think that's the point where I was like, okay, maybe I should go through a bit chronologically and make sure like I get the full, yeah. the full picture. Uh, it wasn't fully chronological. I still kind of like picked and chose. Yeah. Uh, but by the time I got to Mule Variations, I, I think I stuck on that. Like, I didn't move on from Mule, Mule Variations for a while. Nice. Like, this is perfection. I don't need to listen to anything else. So, Chocolate Jesus, I'm looking at. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Hilarious song. <clears throat> so at what point did you arrive at this uh, Holy Trinity, do you think? It was pretty recent. I mean, I, I'd say I became like a full, I think I got a full picture of Tom Waits around like six or seven years ago. Okay. Like towards the end of my college career. Okay. Okay. Uh, and then I, the past several years, I've just been like listening to all Man, these albums pretty much. Right. Like those are just the three I grabbed sure. towards the Yeah. Most. Like yeah, Small Change is like perfect early era album. Brain Dogs is a perfect late era album. And then Mule Variations just like covers it all. Yeah. It's just a catch all career retrospective, pretty much. Well, what did Homeboy have to say about it? 
Mule variations. After a six-year break, he returned with an older, more so more sorrowful sound. This was always one of my favorite Tom Waits albums, and guess what? I'm right. <laughs> After the excessive harshness of the Black Rider, this album combines the sinister, like Big in Japan, with a sweetness, like Picture in a Frame, that hasn't been seen that hasn't been that hasn't been seen since from Tom Waits. Mm. Uh, and yeah, his favorite song is "Come On Up to the House." Nice. Nice. It's it's a perfect closer, I think. After um, the whole journey you've been through on that album, it's it's perfect. So Alice, uh, and again, if I'm skipping anything, uh, holler. But now, this uh, was pretty much so. Alice and Blood Money both came out like simultaneously. Yeah, and they were both written as studio as studio versions of stage works that he'd been working right, on. Right. Right. Alice had actually been recorded like a decade prior. And then Blood Money was more recent at okay. that time. But huh. of the two, I think I prefer Alice okay. a bit more. It's a bit... Uh, written for a play directed by Robert Wilson. Based uh, on the life of Lewis Carroll, who had an interesting life, if you aren't familiar. Uh, is that Alice, Alice in Wonderland? Wonderland. Yeah. yeah. So oh. Alice, the inspiration for Alice is he was an old man that became creepily obsessed with a young girl that was his next door neighbor. Oh, wow. And he would just like fantasize about all okay. the adventures and stuff. And that's Wait, where... that's, this is actually Lewis Carroll? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, this is like his, his story. Okay. And so Alice, the album, the Tom Waits album, which was originally a screenplay, which never, I don't know if it ever actually came to production or if it had like a really limited run or what, but it's almost like giving Lewis Carroll's like perspective or like his mindset going oh for real okay kind of stuff okay there's a song later on on the album uh i'm still here which is almost from the perspective of the little girl who was the original like real life alice saying like what's left of me after you've turned me into this character that people all know about but no one knows like the true story of you being a creepy pervert and Whoa, watching man. me and it's her saying like i'm still here nice. like i still am my own person huh yeah um, so, uh, the only note I have on this record, <clears throat> and I'm still, I still haven't really processed this all the way, but, um, track six, poor Edward, uh, is nice, but it's also apparently written about a dude who was life, yeah. born with a freak. face. Yes. Mm-hmm. On the back of his head. Yep. Uh, the and face, the face would whisper, evil not nice that, at, at night. night. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it could whisper, laugh or cry. Dude begged doctors to remove it as it whispered bad things to him at night. Uh, apparently I guess he, so he was an heir to some land or whatever, uh, but kept himself like, wouldn't even Very let secluded. family, yeah. uh, he asked them to remove it. And they're like, if we remove it, you'll die. Right. Like, and then he ended up killing himself. himself. Oh yeah. He hung himself. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that song is immediately followed by Tabletop Joe. Yeah, which is, which also is a real life story. That's a fun kind of song. A very different yeah. <laughs> from the preceding song. And I think they both paint a picture of like it's al- I don't think he's trying to like justify Lewis Carroll, but it's almost saying like you can either be an Edward Mordrake type of person who kills yourself because of your situation, or you could be a poor Joe type of person, a tabletop Joe who just kind of makes it bit like takes the hand life dealt him and just goes through life. And then it's like, what kind of story are you painting here? Like, there's a lot, there's a lot to interpret here. Uh, Ed, the Edward Mordrake song, the poor Edward, it's almost like, I don't think he 
meant for it to be like a parallel, like a direct parallel to Lewis Carroll. Okay. But it's almost like <coughs> almost painting him as not so much a victim, but like it's like he didn't want to have those thoughts either. He just kind of was a victim oh, to his own mind. Okay, okay. Still very wrong what he did. Yeah. He was a creepy dude. He was a pervert. But he almost painted. Did he write in other stuff too? I mean, just the. I mean, the Jabberwocky. Oh yeah. Like that. yeah. Wait, did Jab Jabberwocky get uh, some heat for being weird in a racial way? Uh, I mean, probably. I feel like that's just a full gibberish. Okay. Uh, well, okay. Just, now they mention that there's another out, a song on here. Come, I've never been able to pronounce this. Communist. Uh huh. Uh huh. Which the whole song is just like German gibberish. Okay. Like it's not yeah. actual German, but it's just right. nonsense, which kind of ties into that Jabberwocky theme of none of these are real words. Yeah. But we're just huh. having fun with it. Um. So what uh, What does our one paragraph friend have to say about Alice? Where's Alice? Tom Waits released two albums, Alice and Blood Money, on the exact same day. Like several of Waits' albums, both are comprised primarily of songs from written plays. They're also the first Tom Waits albums to be released after I became a fan. Mm. This is my favorite of the two. Okay. Although it's similar to Mule Variations, it's a sadder and quieter album, which is really saying something. Yeah. It's not as noisy as his other post-Swordfish Trombone albums. Instead, the songwriting and production are both more straightforward and understated. Its title track is one of my very favorite Tom Waits songs. Wow. Okay. Um, it ends with, uh, just really quick before we move on. Yeah. Fawn is one of the most beautiful closers in Tom Waits' really? entire discography. Okay. I think it's so somber but like very bittersweet there's huh. like this like weird guitar tone to it that just like fluctuates over everything do i have anything written about it yeah i had it mournful and ethereal instrumental it's very much like a this is the end of the story like, yeah you're moving on right there's nothing left whoa um so blood i mean it's pretty pretty cool to put out two records at the same time. Oh, yeah. Thirteen tracks, forty two minutes. A lot of short, punchy tracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, noteworthy mix of light and dark motifs, just in song style. You got like a a lot of negativity, and then you get uh, con- some sprinkles. Misery is the river of yeah. the world. Everything goes to hell. Mm-hmm. I, God's away on business is one of my favorite yes. Tom Waits tracks. Yeah. Uh, Starving in the belly of a whale. Uh-huh. Good man is hard to find. Is yep. one of his funniest yep. songs, and then closing off the album with that like it's a very bleak album up to that point and then it's like hey good man's hard to find isn't right. he? uh and i mean still still no album cover art slouch um <laughs> let's see here uh yeah there's a mixture uh i feel like on this one of uh you get some singing weights some moaning weights and some gravelly weights mm-hmm. vocals wise um and like this is much more like in line with bone machine yeah alice was more in line with meal variation okay yeah it's interesting yeah alice was written around the time bone machine came out funny but that's just Tom yeah it's yeah just all a conglomeration but I um, hear, like the very first song misery is the river of the world one of the first lines is if there's one thing you can say about mankind there's nothing kind about man you can drive out nature with a pitchfork but it always comes roaring back again like <laughs> That's awesome. Um, This album left me, uh, I think, with an awareness of how remarkable the production level has been. Uh, Consistent yet unique across his discography with intentional tones and direct vibes. Um, Not that 
you know, it's not to say that uh, his contemporaries or whatever are just putting out records with shitty tone and below quality production. Most records that get out have got, you know, a professional there's sound a, to them. Quite a level of detail. Yeah. yeah. With Tom Waits, it's like every single sound is like engineered. Yeah. Perfectly. It, it really is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't know what the, to, to have that uh, in your bag of tricks. I don't know uh, what the mixture of um, just intuition versus, you know, being technically sound uh, is, but it's, it's got to involve a lot of both, I would think. Um, and that's, you know, for me, like I, I consider myself to have, um, you know, the bare minimum in the technically sound, like I, I can play a few guitar, you know, things on the guitar. I can mess around on the piano. I, I, I understand gear and equipment, but that's also mm-hmm. my ceiling. It's my floor and my ceiling. Uh, going to be recording a one man band album. Anytime right. Soon, yeah. Um, and, uh, at the same time, uh, you know, I would give myself a little bit more credit in the, like the intentional feel kind of thing. Um, but again, but it's so, so small and compared, it, it, it basically just allows me to see, mm-hmm. you know, the, the gift. In awe yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, what, uh, what they have to say about blood money, blood money, the other album released on the same day as Alice with songs like misery is the river of the world. God's away on business and everything goes to hell. It's clear that this aligns more with the black rider esque playful mm-hmm. villainry. It's not great, but it's better than I'd remembered. Favorite song starving in the belly of the whale. Nice. Great song. Very nice. Um, so we're kind of coming up on the end. Two, two main albums. Yeah, yep. Real Gone in 2004, 16 songs, 69 minutes. Uh, and This I, is a very contentious album in the fan base. T- say more, please. Because, so it was originally released in 2004. Okay. Then around 2010, I want to say 2011, right around when Bad As Me came out, they he and Kathleen Brennan like remastered the album and released it like re-released it okay the original version of the album is almost impossible to find like if you go what? on spotify it's the remastered version if okay you go to a record store it'll probably be the remastered version most people agree that the original's better oh because it kind of feels like they sanitized it a little bit interesting for the remastered version and kind of like took away some of the the grimy character because it's oh. a very grimy album. yeah like it's yeah. very like distorted and noisy uh-huh. but I mean, I still love it. I, I but it, amongst like the the hardcore Wade's fans, you'll always you'll always see them like, um, actually, Real Gone was only good before they remastered. Okay, it. Like, all right. Well, it's still a fantastic. It's, I'm album. really glad you said that because the way that I started, uh, I've got my discography over here, and as as I'm I'm just checking them off as I go along, and so uh, you know, uh, Alice and Blood Money in '02 and Real Gone in '04, and close it out with Bad as Me in '11. Well, like I said, for for some of this, I was doing listens in the car and working off the streaming discography, and I at one point I was convinced that I had gotten out of order somehow, and I think it's here uh, because I, I got I going out and trying to make sure like. God forbid I listen to a record out of order, but, and then it's like uh, remastered mm-hmm. or, and I'm like, 
I feel some like some of the original versions of the songs you could find like on YouTube. Well, but, but I, streaming I, is almost exclusively the remastered version. I remember seeing the remastered and thinking to myself, "Gosh, this album hasn't even been out that long. Like, why is there a remaster?" <laughs> right. And then uh, whatever, when 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 I was finally back in the chair and listening like a good student, I was like, "Am I tripping? Did I?" totally hallucinate that whole thing where i thought i was listening out of order because it, now now it's all back to now it all makes sense yes exactly um but uh so we get more brain more claypool mark rebeau and mark casey waits yep. on drums turntables and per- percussion i was like what you pulled out all the stops for this one i mean uh so immediately track one uh you get like some jazz uh rock and then uh track two is like this pirate that rap. yeah it's one of my favorites one of the first songs that i was like okay i can i can fall in love with tom way it's just like the whole like it's it's a grimy song yeah. like yes. the way he sings the vocals but then when he comes in on the chord it's just, oh, that rag it's like whoa dude yeah. where did that come yeah. from also, one of my favorite Mark Rebo guitars. Okay, okay, like, nice. The whole song's like very Latin influenced. Like it's got like a like a little hand clap going yeah. on the back. Like the yeah. bass is very slick. I think I think hand claps is a credited uh, personnel listing. Yeah, and then the guitar line, like you said earlier, it's a very simple. It's just like a few notes, or like a repeating motif. Yeah. But the way, like every time he plays it again, you're like it's so hypnotized. Yes, like, I just want to get sucked in. <laughs> Uh, so track three, uh, sins of my father clocking in at 1037 magnificent. I, yep. I was, I'm, I'm not alone in that. Right. No, like no. I saw it's a very, it like normally when a song's that long, I'm like, I hope it changes up a bit, but no, that's a very, like the beginning is exactly how it sounds. Yeah. And you just, the storytelling, the lyricism is like, I have a birds cry warning from a hidden branch carving out a future with a gun and an axe i'm way beyond the gavel and the laws of man still living in the palm of the grace of your hand i'm gonna take the sins of my father i'm gonna take the sins of my mother i'm gonna take the sins of my brother down to the pond wow shit dude all right yeah it's like it's that entire it's that i hope there's footage i want to see the uh Lo- so uh, metropolitan glide is track seven jazzy folk rock with scratches i'm like i mean if if uh, you know i were to make a list uh of all the things that tom waits didn't do on his rec- like i think by the time i get to the end i've i've i have no no things yeah. left i've i've made my and then I've, nope he he did it he did it he did it. Uh, and so, i think i think he had some when he dove into like the beatboxing was kind of when he kind of lost me a few times. <laughs> uh, yes. Some, like some of the DJ scratches. It works well, like uh, going back big in Japan. So yeah. Like yeah. That yeah. Cha-cha, yep. Like that repetition. Yep. But it's also, but, it's his kid. Exactly. It's, right. It's yeah. super fun. Um, spit back to that. The album ends with day after tomorrow, which is a phenomenal song, but then there's a hidden track after it. Uh-oh. Like, after like a few minutes of silence, oh. it goes to Chicka Boom. Oh, which is just okay, yeah. Kind of him. <laughs> <laughs> beatboxing and doing his thing and i was like okay we could have ended it on right after tomorrow That's right fine. uh track eight dead and lovely i absolutely dig that um track nine circus i pulled out a snippet of lyric um, i'd love to hear it because it's it's a weird song if you wouldn't mind and one I admire, the queen of the galley who trained the ostrich and the camels. She looked at me squinty with her one good eye in a Roy Orbison t-shirt as she bottle-fed an orangutan named Tripod. 
And then there was Yodeling Elaine, the queen of the air, who wore a dollar sign medallion, and she had a tiny bubble, tiny bubble of spittle around her nostril, and a little rusty tear, for she had lassoed and lost another tipsy sailor. Are you wow. all right, dude? <laughs> like, where did that come from? Yeah, it, make, it really makes you wonder, like, how much of this is stuff he's like experienced or like heard about versus just imagination. A really, yeah. creative vision. I mean, again, the detail. Like, uh, I was, I was, I think I'm back on. Yeah, because so I'm out of order. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'm driving. So I'm driving, and, and I was like, did he just say something? Somebody's wearing a Roy Orbison T-shirt. And I was like, I gotta look that up. And then I was like, Oh, that that might be the nor- normal part of that passage, right? <laughs> Easily, like, okay, I, that that part makes sense. The rest is just okay. That's what yeah. It is. yeah. Uh, ten, track ten, trampled rose, really, really nice. In fact, I, I kind of like them all. Um, just a, a really nice surprise. Um, uh, uh, do you have anything to add? No, just have same green grass. Oh yeah, rain. Which Fantastic gr- songs. Green Grass uh, is he not too terribly long before that he had a he had a track with Green Grass in the title, um, but it completely like it, Grass is greener or something like that. I forget what, it, but a d- way different uh, feel uh, than that than the first one. Um, what uh, what did our reviewer have to say? Released a year after the U.S. invaded Iraq, Real hmm. Gone contains some of the few directly political material of Waze's career. It also completely eliminates all keyboards, but adds things like turntables. Okay. It doesn't really have any right, opinion. Right. That's, I think, yeah. In my opinion, one of Waze's weaker albums Okay. all the way through. Okay. But again, this is an artist with zero actually bad right, albums, right. so... Placing it toward the bottom is not a knock on the album. It's no, I, I, I think that uh, uh, beyond the, the specifics that I mentioned, like I said, I just I like that he's uh, still putting out good material uh, th- 30 years after his debut. So 73, so yeah, I 30 mean, years later. 31, I mean, it's... That, you that, don't find very many artists that no, can do that. No, This is what, his 16th album, if you include all the the like screenplay yeah 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 stuff so um still going strong so i kind of think that i uh i don't know if this is the glass half empty part of me but i i thought that since i enjoyed this one conceptually and with some specific that that bad as me might be a stinker and i was not right it is Um, a great album and it'll probably end up as his last album. I don't see him putting out anything else, honestly. It's he's, been 12 years. He's, up, he's getting up there. He seems to be fine just yeah. in a movie role yeah. and just chilling with Kathleen. But if Two, this is the one to go out on. Yeah. I think it's a really good, like, it's a concise, very just easy, easy rolling, like, compact album. Yeah. So, uh, 2011... Uh, 44 minutes and 16 tracks. Is that right? So yes. 13 tracks originally, and then okay. over here you've got the three. There's three bonus tracks that were on the album. Ah, so yeah, originally okay. it ended with New Year's Eve I on see. the original release. I see, yes, yes, There's yes, some yes. deluxe tracks on here, yeah. Um, so a lot uh, to sort of gloss over with this one, but lots to like too, especially near record's end, although I like the beginning too. Uh, great tone again, great musicianship across the whole record, but especially in the closer and I'm not, I'm digital, Mm -hmm. uh, after you die and the story feel of tell me, um, 
and then um you know very little uh very small wiki entries for the ones the couple or three before this and then this one's huge like tons of critical acclaim yeah. it's uh, almost like <clears throat> this felt like tom wade's like saying hey i'm still here like i'm ain't, ain't no one gonna fuck with me like I'm still uh like alice exactly yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's really like, uh, it's like I said, it's just so concise. There's like no real filler. It's just even if there's a song that's weaker than another, every song kind of like fits. Yeah. And like it's all, and the fact that it comes so late into his career, there's like a sense of like mortality on it. It's almost like, yeah, I don't have much time left. Let's just pump right. one out. Let's make it a good one. Time to make the donuts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just you know the critical. I felt like the critical acclaim was deserved. Uh, fantastic record that shows his reach, his creativity, and his many uh, musical personas. Mm-hmm. Um, really, just uh, kind of left me uh, speechless in a sense. In that um, it has, it's been a long road. I mean, uh, the different phases, the different labels, the different uh partnerships um and sounds uh experimental uh directions that he's gone um and you know while part of me was like eh, he's he could probably still put out one more or whatever like if this is the final mm-hmm. it's a good one it's a good one to end on it's like talking at the same time i think i have a little oh maybe i don't i just have uh so many good songs. Raised Right Men. So that one oh, in particular, man. I always <laughs> kind of found it as a parallel to Red Right Hand by Nick Cave. Similar uh, sounding titles. I know the name Nick Cave. Uh, oh, you're not familiar with Nick Cave. If and the like Bad Tom Seeds? Waits, yep. Nick okay, okay, Seeds, okay. Yeah. You should definitely check that okay. out if you're a fan of Tom Waits. Different sound, but kind of that same spirit of just like murky, backwoods type of creepiness going on. Uh, Red Right Hand is probably his most famous song. Okay, and uh, you think there's some intentional I think similarity? So. So like Red Right Hand and Raised Right Man <laughs> just like sounds very yeah yeah. And then like musically, Red Right Hand is known for like it's very like like, like I don't want to say Delta Blues like a backwoods Louisiana like chugging percussion. Sure. And then there's like this like loud boom that comes after each chorus. Huh. And on this, there's like this like organ stab that comes occasionally it just fits it feels like a thematic mirror almost interesting red right hand uh get lost it's yeah like a, a stomping yeah like, let's get lost mm-hmm. let's get out of here yeah. let's have some good time it's the uh it's gone are the days of in the neighborhood oh Mar- yeah yeah <laughs> now we're just we're burning yeah. the neighborhood down yeah now. yeah uh the title track bad as me i have a lyric from that one uh Oh, his vocal performance on that track, I said here, he's channeling Screaming Jay Hawkins. Nice. He's really, like, pulling in just, like, the really theatrical. He says, you're the head on the spear, you're the nail on the cross, you're the fly in my beer, you're the key that got lost, you're the letter from Jesus on the bathroom wall, you're mother superior and only a bra, you're the same kind of bad as me. Wow. I just love that. Oh, my God, that. that is so great. It's so good. And then the very last, oh, no, Hell Broke Loose. Yeah, L U C E. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, in the context of the story, Luce is a person, uh-huh, like the, uh-huh. the, the title guy. But it's very probably his most overtly political song. Just what? so anti-war and so. Okay. He said, "I have a little snippet from that too." He says, 
I had a good home, but I left right left. That big fucking bomb made me deaf deaf. A Humvee mechanic put his Kevlar on wrong. I guarantee you'll meet up with a suicide bomb. Then later on he says, how is it that the only ones responsible for making this mess got their sorry asses stapled to a goddamn desk? Huh. Which that line I mentioned here evokes War Pigs by Sabbath and BYOB by System of a Down. With that same kind of, why don't presidents fight the war? Why do they always send the poor, like... Right. Get off your ass and do something instead of sending poor people out to their deaths. Well, it know? used to be that you would lead people to victory in a hard-fought battle, and because of that, we would make you president. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's you get president for stepping over the corpses of all these uh, yeah, people you sent off to yeah, die. Who, who can raise the most money? Exactly. You know, yeah. uh, this, sadly. But and then I also mentioned right here. So satisfied is a very beautiful, like it's a hard rocking song but it's almost like a i'm i'm looking forward to the end like i've accepted my mortality mm. i said uh roll my vertebrae out like dice let my skull be a home for the mice let me bleach like the bones on a beach i'll be hard like a pit from a peach and then later on he goes on to say like uh when i'm staying i'll be satisfied when i'm di- dying i'll be satisfied huh. and it's funny because at the very end he says now, Mr. Jagger and Mr. Richards, I will scratch where I've been itching. It's like the Rolling Stones connection comes back again <laughs> with the all, them always saying, I can't get no satisfaction. Right. And him on satisfied right. saying, like, maybe try dying sometime. Yeah. And that'll right. be when you're satisfied. Um, and the very last song before the deluxe edition, mm-hmm. the official last song is New Year's. Yes. Day, which, my God, if this is the last official Tom Wade song we get. I was leaving in the morning and Charles with Charles for Las Vegas, and I didn't ever plan to come back. I had only a few things, $200, and my records in a brown paper sack. And then it ends with like this interpolation of Old Lang Syne. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Be forgotten. Uh-huh. It's like, well, is, is, is that, do we get that kind of a couple times in the song? The old, is, he's yeah, singing he a verse. A few times. Yeah. And he, throughout his discography, there's like two or three songs where he brings up that Old Lang Syne okay. Funny. Like, sentiment. And it's just a very, like, it's a, Perfect bow on top of it. Uh, speaking of precedence, uh, is that shirt what I think it is? It sure is. Nice. <laughs> very nice. Very, very nice. Um, so uh, I guess we have one more, uh, one last little paragraph uh, to hear about. Yeah. That is me. Tom Waits released his most recent album two months before turning 62, and he refuses to mellow out. Bad As Me has much has as much bite as anything that Waits has made. His shortest album since The Heart of Saturday Night. This is one of his most consistent and filler-free listening in this context. Kiss Me is a wonderful throwback to the early jazz troubadour incarnation of Tom Waits. Favorite song, Talking at the Same Time. Nice. Now, he's got a final analysis here. Too. Oh, okay. Most essential, Rain Dogs. Nice. Least essential, One for the Heart, which is the the soundtrack oh, for the right. I'd say probably as least essential is probably foreign affairs. Okay. Not yeah. Yeah. That overlooked gem bone machine. Mm. Best moment towards the end of, I don't want to grow up where he says, I don't want to live in a big old tomb on grand street, which we skipped over that song, but what? I, I love that. It's on bone machine. Okay. I okay. I want to grow up. Like the whole album is very dark. Yeah. And then that album, that song is almost like a, it's a punk song masquerading as like a folk, like a distorted folk anthem. Interesting. It's like when I see my parents drinking, I don't want to grow up. Right. I just lay in bed just thinking I don't want to grow up. Huh. And it's like very like just stompy, very not thinking about just having a good time. Yeah. Uh, just a fantastic, fantastic artist. Yeah. 
Um, well, thank you, man. Uh, this was a lot of fun. It was, like I said, it was a, a lot of work. It was a daunting uh, task. Um, yeah. but I'm really glad I did it. I'm glad that you were, uh, that you did it with me. And, um, so, um, I got to ask, do you want to, you want to come back for another one? Absolutely. Do you really? I do, yeah. This is, uh, this is, I'm just, it's my initial thought and I'm, totally open to uh, go in a different direction or, or any other suggestions and you, it doesn't have to be now we can we can circle back but i wondered uh what the bowie discography might be like um, that's an artist that almost like tom waits huge discography great there's <laughs> i figured I haven't, I haven't listened to every bowie album. oh i've listened to very few same okay i started a few years ago i was like i'm gonna listen to every bowie album i think i made it up to like the berlin trilogy and i was like there's still so much more <laughs> like it's... i've already listened to like 12 albums and oh my we're god just getting started okay uh, and i've listened to black star which was his last album okay he passed okay phenomenal but there, i feel like really a lot i'm missing in between there yeah i mean i got i know uh ziggy like front to back oh, yeah. uh but very you know beyond that <clears throat> excuse me beyond that really just hits mm-hmm. um and uh i mean it would be you know a, a lot of first listens for me but oh, yeah. i you know it's a thing that i that list of you know rabbit holes that i should go down is ginormous right uh i'll never It'll never be. I'll, they won't all be scratched off at any. Mm-hmm. But uh, if I don't ever dive down, then it just it continues. Just yeah, down. yeah. So uh, kick it around uh, if if you want to do that, or if you want to throw throw something different back at me, I'd be down. Um, but it's uh, great having you back. Uh, always good to chat with music with you, and uh, appreciate the time. Um, I feel like we're forgetting something, um, but we've definitely hit. 17 records and um, I guess we covered it. <laughs> He's also a prolific actor. Shows up in movies all over the place. I think I mentioned last time when we were talking about Small Change, he has a small role in Seven Psychopaths, which is one of uh-huh. my favorite movies. Uh-huh. I don't know if you ever watched The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. But uh-uh. He has his own little... It's like it's a Coen Brothers movie. Oh. Like six short vignettes ah. kind of like compiled into a movie. No real connection between them. That's cool, though. I can dig There's that. one that's just him. Okay. Like he's the protagonist. He's a gold miner out in the mountains looking for gold, and it's it's perfection. Wow. Yeah. You like the whole movie, not just oh, his? Oh, yeah. Okay. The whole movie is great. All right. That's probably my favorite snippet. Probably I'm biased just because I'm a, sure. the biggest Tom <laughs> fan. But. All right, Sammy Sanchez, uh, if you haven't checked out episode 44, please go do so. It was uh, great then and great to have you back. Thank you very much. Um, Talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you.